If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and 12. We're going to start in 12 and then go back to 11 and then make our way back to chapter 12. I promise it'll make more sense than it just sounded. But that's where we're going to be tonight. But as you're turning uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, I just want to share one of my favorite things about the cultural moment that we find ourselves in. There's not too many things I like about the cultural moment we find ourselves in, but there's at least one, and it's what the cool kids call memes. Does anyone like a good meme? Thank you. Me too. Now, certainly some can cross the line. I'm not talking about those memes, but I'm talking about memes that are are funny. I was talking to Hannah about memes the other day, and, and she said something insightful. She said that when she's on Instagram and she sees a series of memes, she always knows that she missed something in the news because... You know, you always find out about it through a meme. But I want to spend the, the first couple minutes of our time together uh, just enjoying some memes together that all center on one common theme, getting old. So why don't you put the first meme up, Daniel? You know you're getting old when a good night means you didn't have to get up to pee. That was kind of a half-hearted laugh, but that's fine. I thought it was funnier than that, but I guess it was it hit too close to home for most of you. That's fine. Okay, let's go to the next one. Childhood injuries. Fell off my bike, fell out of a tree, twisted my ankle. Adult injuries. Slept wrong, sat down too long, and sneezed too hard. <laughs> Sounds about right. Now, no pointing fingers at your young adult leaders during this sec- segment. Please don't do that. That'd be unkind. Okay, how about the next one? Me, (laughs) stands up really fast, my entire body. Uh, That's what my car looks like most days, so that's a problem. Okay, how about the next one? Tracking my cookies? They will never get my recipe. Some of you are just now getting that, so that's fine. I think that was the last one. Great, you can take the cookie one off the screen. Oh, there's one more, okay. (laughs) <laughs> me all day, <laughs> me at 3 a.m. Anyone like that cat last night? Okay, yeah, I just heard one, yeah, great. Now, here's the deal. Don't laugh too hard because someday it's going to be you. Someday you're going to get old. Not me, but all of you are going to get old at some point. And I think one of the things, one of the issues with maybe not us as an old family, but with young people in general is that they feel immortal. Feel like, man, I've got my whole life ahead of me. I'm in my 20s, I'm in my 30s. I'm gonna feel like this forever. But that's just not the case. Someday you're gonna be the one waking up three times in the middle of the night to use the bathroom. Someday you're gonna be the one that throws your back out because you sneeze too hard. But someday we're gonna be the ones that are going to each other's funerals. Someday we're gonna be the ones who are getting old. And it's interesting in our text tonight, Solomon, it almost seems like he shares a a meme in chapter 12. He shares this metaphorical picture of what it looks like to grow old, what it looks like to age. And it's like he's coming to our young adult family tonight and wants to say, now I know you're not there yet, but you have to understand what's coming so that you know how to use the youth that God has given you. In our text, Solomon unpacks another reason, another way that life under the sun is hevel. Life under the sun is meaningless, getting old. It's another way that life is hevel. 
And Solomon says, enjoy your life now, enjoy being young now, because it's not going to last forever. So we're going to start in chapter 12, verse 1, and you're going to need to keep a finger in the text, because we're going to bounce around uh, a little bit through chapter, actually we're going to move pretty quick through chapter 12 um, to understand what he's saying. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you'll say, I have no pleasure in them. We'll come back to the first part of the verse. Look at the second part. When you grow old, uh, some people would say, quote, I have no pleasure in those days. It's a picture of, of growing old and kind of being difficult to please, of being grumpy, of being unhappy. You know that type of older person that I'm talking about. It's like Elf's dad or <laughs> Scrooge, or maybe it was one of your elementary school teachers or a neighbor that you had growing up, an older person that was just perpetually grumpy. Not all older people, but some. Growing old is hevel because it's easy to be grumpy, but it actually gets worse in verse 2. It says, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. The darkening of the sun and the moon is actually a picture of diminishing joy and happiness and pleasure. Solomon says one of the reasons that getting old is hevel is because it's easy to be depressed. It's estimated that up to 20% of the elderly population struggles with depression. Though that group, that demographic in our country, accounts for 13% of our population, it accounts for 20% of deaths by suicide. There's many reasons that an elderly person might struggle with depression. Maybe it's chronic pain or health issues. Maybe it's a loss of family member or friends, or maybe just not being able to enjoy the things that they once enjoyed. But growing older is hevel because... Frankly, it can be depressing. Verse 3, And the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent. Again, another metaphor. What Solomon is saying is those who used to be strong, those who were once the strong men in the room, they're now weak. And it says the strong men are bent. Literally, their backs are bent. Statistics suggest that 75% of elderly people struggle with back pain. That's three in four. It's not very good odds for all of us in the room tonight. Getting old is hevel because the strong aren't so strong anymore. This next phrase is interesting. He says, the grinders cease because they're few. Grinders, it's a metaphor for your teeth. Getting old is hevel because your teeth fall out. That's literally, literally what the text says. Don't worry, it gets better. Those who look through windows are dimmed. Another metaphor for fading and failing eyesight. The day is coming when sometime after you and I turn 40, when all of us are going to need reading glasses. And even beyond just needing reading glasses, eyesight generally fades over time, which is why most people, like my grandparents, they hate driving at night. I already hate driving at night, so I'm already ahead of the curve. That's probably not a good thing. Growing older is hevel because... You lose your eyesight. Verse 4, the doors on the street are shut when the sound of grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird. <laughs> it's actually an interesting picture. Uh, we just heard the birds recently. What time do the birds come out? Anybody know? Like 4 a.m., 5 a.m.? It's like obnoxiously early. But here's what Solomon is saying, that oftentimes when you get older, you hear the bird at 4 a.m., and then what happens? You can't fall back to sleep. It's not uncommon for an older person to struggle with insomnia, 
having a hard time sleeping, just like the cat in our meme. Getting older is hevel because you can have a hard time sleeping. Look at the next part of verse 4. All the daughters of song are brought low. Another metaphor for uh, losing your hearing. Getting older is hevel because you can't hear anymore. Verse 5, they're afraid of also what is high and of tears in the way. Interesting, he's saying that older people are generally more fearful. It might be because they can't defend themselves quite as well. That's why you probably don't see an older person walking alone down the streets of Milwaukee in the middle of the night. But it also could be that older people are more likely to get worked up from watching the news and seeing all the doomsday material that sells so effectively our advertisements. But then he continues in verse 5, and the ESV says, and desire fails. Now, if you're reading the NIV, it says something like desire fades. So it seems kind of inconspicuous, right? Well, I was studying the verse, and I looked at a translation that's a little more literal, um, and the word, the translation for the same words in Hebrew said, and the caper berry shrivels. So caper berry shrivels, desire fades. That's like translating Jesus wept as Jesus laughed, like so far from each other, right? So I did some digging and I started to learn why the ESV and the NIV translated it the way they did. Um, The caper berry was a type of food in ancient times that was believed to increase libido. So for the text to say the caper berry shrivels is a way to say when you get older, your sex drive diminishes. We can be thankful for the NIV and the ESV's G-rated translations. But that's in the text. Then he continues, because man is going to his eternal home and mourners go about in the streets. Getting older is hevel because older people tend to encounter the reality of death more and more. I realize this is true when I spend time with my grandparents. I'm amazed at all of the what I'll call obituary talk. I'm spending time with them and I hear across the room, ah, did you see so-and-so's obituary in the paper? Did you see that so-and-so just passed away? Did you see so-and-so was just diagnosed with cancer? And they talk about it all the time. Or there's conversations frequently about friends who passed or recently passed and they've encountered a lot more death than a lot of us probably have. Can you imagine how hard that would be for a moment? Just opening up the newspaper and seeing an obituary of someone that you graduated from high school with, or since half of you don't even know what the paper is, can you imagine scrolling through Facebook or Instagram and and seeing a friend from high school or seeing a friend from college post that they have terminal cancer and they have three months to live? And that happening over and over again? It'd be depressing, wouldn't it? Growing older is hevel. It's meaningless because you encounter death a lot more often. Death comes knocking at your door and you begin to ask, well, when is that going to be? me. It's not necessarily a happy text, is it? But Solomon takes some time to remind us of the joy of being in your 20s, the joy of being in your 30s. And just an aside, I think this text does serve as a reminder of the importance for you and I to go out of our way to respect and honor those who are older than us, especially our senior citizens, especially the elderly. That is not in vogue in our culture today. We live in a culture that tends to make fun of the elderly, to talk, to make jokes about them behind their back or frankly to their face. 
not honoring. My dream is that our young adult family can be trendsetters in how we treat those that are older than us, respecting them and honoring them, honoring them as people, not just because they've earned it or deserve it, but because we are choosing to honor and love and respect them. Listen to them. Take time to give them a hug. Take time to open the door for them or grab their shoulder when you can help them into the store. Here's a challenge. Maybe on Sunday morning when you come to church, come a little bit early. I know that's going to be hard for a lot of you. That's fine. Come five or 10 minutes early to church. Put your stuff down in your usual spot because I know you always sit in the same spot anyway. And instead of just sitting down and getting on your phone or sitting down and talking to your friends, just take a look around. Find someone close to your section that'd be a senior citizen. And go walk up to them. Put your hand out, introduce yourself, and just start asking them questions and get to know them and show honor. A couple weeks ago, we talked about death. Um, And I realized after the message that many of us can't remember the last time that we went to a funeral. Part of the problem is that many of us don't have relationships with very many people that are over the age of 70. Might be time to change that and get to know some individuals in our church family that are older than us. And I think you might be surprised how much you can learn. Let's show honor to those who are older than us. But Solomon puts this passage in our text, I think, for a reason. When he wrote this, if I had to guess, he was probably in his 70s, maybe in his 80s. And he was looking back at his life, looking back at his 20-year-old or 30-year-old self saying, man, if I could give myself some advice, if I could give myself a message and go back 40 years, here's what I would say. And if Solomon came to young adults tonight and preached a text from Ecclesiastes, I'm convinced this would be his advice, the preacher's advice for our young adult family. And in light of the, the meaninglessness of getting old and growing in age, he provides some advice in chapter 11, verse 9. Follow along as I read. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you. In the days of your youth, walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. You hear what he's saying, right? Solomon is championing what you and I would call the Disney worldview. Follow your heart. Do what you want. If you feel something, if you desire something, then don't let your desire be stopped. Here's what he's saying. You want to smoke pot every weekend? Go for it. You want to sleep around and live loose sexually? Great. Why not? Go all in. You want to go down to the Ho-Chunk this weekend and, and drop 10 grand in gambling? Oh, if that's what you want to do, just go for it. Oh, you want to look at pornography every day? If that's what your heart wants, why not? Oh, you want to jump into a relationship with someone of the same sex? Go for it. No problem at all. Whatever your heart wants. Oh, you want to work 70 hours a week and try to climb to the top of the corporate ladder and make as much money as you possibly can and be the top of the top in your company? Go for it. Do whatever. You, you want to spend your whole life devoted to sports, either playing sports or watching sports, and that's all you think a dream about, go for it, whatever your heart desires. You want to spend four to five hours a day on social media? Why not? Go for it. That's what he's saying. I know what you're thinking. Come on, Sam, there's got to be a catch. It's not actually what he's saying. Well, you probably noticed I didn't read all of verse nine, did I? Let me start again at the top of verse nine. Rejoice, O young man or young woman, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But, that's a pretty big but, know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. 
And that's when Solomon drops the mic. You see, he's saying, do what you want. Follow your heart. You want to get drunk? You want to sleep around? You want to smoke pot? Go for it. Do what you want. But know that God is going to hold you accountable for every single decision you make. You are not off the hook for how you live in your 20s. You're not off the hook for how you live in your 30s. That's what Solomon is saying in our text tonight. God is going to judge every aspect of our life. He's going to judge every decade of our life. Judgment, it's not something that we like to think about. Frankly, it's not something that we like to talk about. But here's one of the most sobering things that I think we could say, that every moment of our life is going to be evaluated by God in eternity. Now, when we talk about judgment and we talk about eternal judgment, we have to know what we're talking about. So there's two different types, two different judgments once we get to eternity. There's first the great white throne judgment. That's when Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. The sheep he's going to put on his right hand. The goats, a metaphor for unbelievers, he'll put on his left. He's going to separate believers from unbelievers. And believers will enter into eternity, into eternal joy with Jesus, and unbelievers will enter into the lake of fire. And if you don't know Christ, if you don't have a relationship with him, if you've never believed in him as your savior, then that would be the worst day in your entire existence. When you receive the just punishment for your sin, eternity separated from God in a literal lake of fire. But there's a second judgment. It's a judgment that's only for believers. A judgment where Jesus evaluates our life. It's not salvific. It doesn't change our eternal destination, but it does influence our reward in eternity. And I think there's some passages in the New Testament in particular that might give us a picture, a framework of what this judgment might look like and what this judgment might entail. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says this, for we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what's due for what he's done in the body, whether good or or evil. (laughs) Sobering, isn't it? None of us get a pass. We'll all be evaluated by Jesus. And yes, Jesus is a loving boss. He's a gracious and he's a kind master. But can you imagine what that's going to be like standing before Jesus and receiving an account like an annual review, except on steroids for our whole life? It's pretty sobering when we think about it. But what's going to be evaluated is even deeper than just our actions. Think of 1 Corinthians 4, verse 10. Or I'm sorry, 4, verse 5, where Paul writes this. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. God will bring to light things hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Huh. Well, what's another name for the purposes of our heart? Motivation, possibly. In that day, on Judgment Day, God's going to expose our motivation. So even if you and I do the right thing with the wrong motivation, even that will be exposed. Sobering, isn't it? Okay, don't worry, it gets even worse. Matthew 12, 36 and 37, the words of Jesus, he says this, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word that they speak. By your words, they'll be justified and by your words, you'll be condemned. Those are words right from Jesus. We'll give an account for every careless word that we speak. How many careless words have you and I said today? 
profanity, gossip, slander, sarcasm, idolatry, or simply just talking about things that don't matter. Friends, our entire life is going to be laid bare before Jesus. And on that day, is social media going to matter? Is your favorite Netflix series going to matter? Are the Packers going to matter? Is your progression at work going to matter? No, only what's done for Christ will last. Only what's done for Jesus will matter. There's this mentality within young people today that goes like this. My 20s are for me. I'm going to do what I want in my 20s. And then then when I get married, then when I have a family, then I'm going to get serious about my faith. Then I'm going to start reading my Bible. Then I'm going to start to pray. Then I'm going to make sure I'm in church every week. Then I'm, then I'm going to clean up my life and, and get rid of these vices that I know I probably shouldn't be doing, but, but I'm going to have my fun now because my 20s are for me. Think of Solomon. We're here. He's, here's what he'd say. If that's what you want, go for it. The choice is yours. But I desperately hope that you understand that you're going to have to give an account to the Lord for the way that you live. And consequences are both earthly and eternal. And when we think about the vices, the temptations, the, the things that might fall in that box that young adults today might struggle with, be tempted toward, we could come up with 100 things, couldn't we? So I'm not going to list exhaustively those things tonight. We'll have time to maybe unpack some of those things in our small group, but I just want to list a couple that I think might be relevant for us to talk about tonight. I don't need to remind you of the consequences of living loose sexually, whether that's viewing pornography or sleeping around or having sex with someone that's not your spouse. The momentary pleasure of sin is never worth the lifetime of consequences. God's design for sex is not just the right way, it's the best way. I think you also might be surprised at how often within the context of young adults, I talk about weed. I talk about marijuana a lot. It's not just a fringe thing anymore. 18% of adults in our country smoke or use marijuana regularly. And the question that rises to the top for many Christ followers is, well, is it okay for a Christian to use marijuana? Well, right now the answer is really easy. Uh, the answer is no, because it's illegal. Um, you look at Romans chapter 13, God has made it clear that we have to submit ourselves to our governing authorities, and in the great state of Wisconsin, using marijuana recreationally is not legal. Now, is that a very satisfying answer? Probably not. Um, I think the day is coming when it'll probably be legalized at the federal level, or you could travel to Illinois or Michigan where it's legal in both of those states, so I'm convinced we need a little more of a robust answer then no, because it's illegal. So we're gonna have a little family talk tonight about weed. I bet you didn't think that was coming tonight. Maybe I can start with this. If someone's smoking weed or using marijuana, I'd, I'd ask why, what's the purpose? What differentiates marijuana from alcohol, for example, is that maybe not everyone, but everybody that I know, that uses marijuana, uses it to get high, to obtain some sort of a, a high. You contrast that with alcohol, where somebody could have a drink or two, and in no way would it affect their mental status. I don't know anybody that uses marijuana because they, they want to just have a little bit because they like how it tastes, <laughs> or because they just want to smell like a skunk. Like, I don't know anybody that says that. No, the purpose, 
generally of using marijuana would be to get high. And I'm hard pressed to reconcile getting high on any substance, intoxicated with any substance from what I see in scripture. I think of Ephesians where Paul writes this uh, in chapter, if I can find it here, chapter five, verse 18. It says this, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on to talk about singing to one another, which is kind of a cool text. But I think Paul makes a unique distinction. He says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Don't become intoxicated, influenced by alcohol, but be filled by, be filled with, maybe we could say be controlled by the Spirit. The problem with drunkenness for a Christ follower is the following, that when you have too much alcohol, or I think this would apply to, to substance like marijuana, that you're giving control of your body over to that substance. In that moment, we're not being controlled by the Spirit. So I think for Christ's follower to use marijuana would be in violation to uh, that text in Ephesians 5. But additionally, many who use marijuana have some sort of a dependence on it, if you can't imagine your life without it, if you can't go more than a couple days or a week without smoking, then you have a dependency. It's a dangerous thing to be dependent on a substance. I'm not a physician, nor am I a psychiatrist. But from what I've read, long-term marijuana use, especially in young people, is not good for brain health. It increases the risk for certain mental illnesses. And it is often, not always, but often used as a gateway to more harmful substances. And finally, uh, if somebody's smoking regularly, I'm not an expert, but from what I've experienced, there's often something deeper going on in their heart. There's often something that they're trying to cover up. Maybe they're trying to self-medicate an issue that needs to be addressed with a physician or a psychiatrist or a psychologist, or maybe there's some pain or some trauma that the marijuana helps solve for just a little bit. Those are real things. But I think what Jesus wants, I know what he wants for you, is to enter into the root of the problem instead of just medicating over the top of it. Now, if you're using marijuana regularly, I am not trying to hit you over the head with the two by four. <laughs> Smoking weed is not the unforgivable sin. But I do want you to consider, is this something that Jesus wants me to be doing? apart from maybe some very specific uh, physician-prescribed medical instances, I don't find a good reason for a Christ follower to be using marijuana. Don't try to fill that void with weed. Turn to Jesus. Well, I would say, let me take my dad hat off, but now we're just gonna talk about alcohol, so I'll keep it on for a moment. It's no secret that we live in one of the drunkest towns in one of the drunkest states in our country. It's just normal to go down to the local watering hole and get trashed. It's also normal to go to a state school, go to a rager on, or any school for that matter, and go to a rager on a Friday night and be completely hungover on Saturday morning. That's just part of the college experience. That's not part of the Christian experience. That's not how God has prescribed us to live our life. I don't think I need to remind you of all the stupid things that people have done and will do under the influence of alcohol. If you read 
Scripture, do you know what often follows drunkenness? Sexual immorality. Many individuals have made painful decisions under the influence of alcohol that have followed them for the rest of their life. Here's what Solomon's saying. Get drunk if you want. Smoke pot if you want. Have sex if you want. But understand that when you wake up on Saturday morning, you still have to live with the consequences of Friday night. That when you get to eternity, you still have to live with the consequences of Friday night. Or maybe you're not doing anything wrong, you're not smoking, you're not drinking, you're not partying, you're not sleeping around. But instead, you're the center of your own universe. You do what you want, when you want, and you reject anyone else telling you what to do. There's no regard for God, there's a minimal regard for people, and you're living a completely self-centered life. You're the Lord of your life, and frankly, you love it. Friends, our text tonight is about the trajectory of your entire life. There are two paths. There's two options. You can either live for you or you can live for Jesus. That's how simple it is. And that's our big idea tonight. I know you've been waiting for this for the last 25 minutes. So Daniel, if you want to put that up on the screen. You can live for you or you can live for Jesus. Those are our two options. Those are the choices before you tonight. And what will you, what will I choose? And it's not just me asking. It's not just your leaders asking. That's what the Lord is asking through Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1. Allow me to reread this verse, chapter 12, verse 1. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you'll say, I have no pleasure in them. Hear what he's saying? While you're in your 20s, while you're in your 30s, remember Jesus. Don't forget about your creator. When you get to the end of your life and all that you did was live for yourself, that is the definition of hevel. That's the definition of a meaningless life. You have your whole life ahead of you. You have the opportunity to choose Jesus today, which is gonna set the trajectory of your entire life. You have time, you have capacity, you have energy today to make a tremendous impact on Jesus' kingdom. Are you gonna to choose to be selfish? Or are you gonna to choose to be selfish? When you turn 30, are you gonna say, wow, look what the Lord did in my 20s? Or when you turn 30, are you gonna say, well, that was a waste. <laughs> when you turn 40, are you gonna say, wow, look at what God did in my 30s? Are you gonna say, man, that was a waste. I just completely lived for myself. But that decision is yours. I can't decide for you. Your leader, your parents can't decide for you. But if you decide to live for you, you can't plead ignorance. You can't say that you weren't warned. Those are two paths before each of us tonight. What are you going to choose? If you're living for yourself, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to make something clear tonight. You don't need to clean up your life before coming to Christ. That would make salvation something that you earn. You can't earn salvation. <laughs> the only thing that you and I bring to the table is sin. It's our own brokenness. It's our own filth. It's our own depravity. Instead, when you believe in Jesus, when you turn away from your sin by the power of the Holy Spirit and trust in him, it's God who does a work of transformation in your life. Following Jesus in repentance means a willingness 
to surrender everything, to let go of everything and follow Christ. Even if you don't know how or when or what or where the strength is going to come from. Following Jesus means that you put up your hands in surrender. You let go of the sin and you don't grab a mop to clean your life up. You cling to Jesus. And when you cling to Jesus, he'll never let you go. There's a chance that you've been running away. And maybe tonight is the night where you say, I'm going to get off this wide path, this path that leads to destruction, but the path that is fun and it's pleasurable. I'm going to believe in Jesus. I'm going to give my life to him. And I'm going to get on the narrow path, the path that it's hard. Jesus never said following him was going to be easy. But I'm convinced there's nothing better than knowing Jesus and living for Jesus. Maybe tonight you need to say, yeah, Jesus, I believe. I need forgiveness of all this stuff that I've done. I need you to save me. I'm giving my life to you. But again, one of the great things about young adults, I'm convinced that you have more time, you have more energy today than you're going to have in 10 years or 20 years. And if you don't believe me, ask your leaders, and I promise they'll affirm what I just said, especially if they have any kids. You have time today. You have effort. You have energy. What are you going to do? Are you going to just use this time as a young adult to live for yourself and do whatever you want? Or are you going to live for Jesus? And as I look out across this room tonight, I see so many people that are doing this so well. One of the best parts of my job, one of my favorite parts of my role, is that I get a front row seat to what God's doing in the life of our young adult family. I get to see the life change that's happening on a micro level, and, and it's amazing. It is amazing to see what God is doing. Couples who are saying, yeah, we're, we're going to put a boundaries in our relationship, and we're going to save sex until we're married. I see people joining finally free groups and reaching out for discipleship and spending time in their Bible. I see people going to Mexico. You're going to Mexico with us, and you're jumping in a G180. You're spending time reading your Bible. You're serving a way club. You're, you're saying, yeah, I want to be involved in VBS. You're doing Bible studies with your friends. You're joining theology studies. You're doing book studies. You're sharing your faith. You're praying and engaging and inviting. I mean, the list could go on and on. What God is doing in your life is amazing. And that's not something you and I can take any credit for. God's doing that work. But Solomon is saying that being young is a gift. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. And maybe you don't know what to do. You don't know what that means. You don't know what it means to serve and, and to use the time that God's given you for his glory in the advance of his kingdom well, then you better join us here on Sunday night. It'd be a great way to take the next step in exploring how God might be calling you to serve his church and advance his kingdom. Well, as we wrap up tonight, um, I'm gonna invite one of our friends up to the front and she's gonna share a little bit of her story with us. You might recognize her. She's been on staff at Highland um, since the fall. She and I served together out in California at the same church and when I saw her come into work a couple of weeks, last week, it was 60 degrees and you were wearing shorts. And I thought, man, we've converted her. So let's give a nice warm welcome to our friend, Bianca. Thanks. Well, tell, tell us, what's your favorite thing about Wisconsin? Am I on? You're Ooh, on. Huh. It's loud. Sounds They're going to hear you. So good. <laughs> Just kidding. Yikes. Um, cool. Hey, guys. What's your favorite thing about Wisconsin? 
Uh, Don't say the tacos. Oh, they're so good. No, um, my favorite thing. Uh, honestly, I think the people. I know it's weird, but everyone has been very kind and very friendly and welcoming. So I'm happy to be here. And I've been here for six months. I made it through the winter. You made it. Th you survived winter. Yeah, thank you. Half of us did didn't it. survive winter. You survived well, winter. Made yeah. it. That deserved, that deserved a round of applause. Yeah, thanks, guys. <laughs> now let's see if I stick around for next winter. Just kidding. I'll be here. I'm here to stay. <laughs> thanks for having me up here. Yeah, we would love to thanks. just to hear a little bit of your story. Sure. Yeah. All right. So my story. So I grew up in a home with two very strong Christian parents. They were incredibly faithful to teach me the Bible, very faithful to take us to church. Um, as far as growing up in a home where the Bible was the foundation and Jesus was the foundation, that was very, very present. And I'm very, very grateful. Um, our family was super involved in church. That was a part of our regular, went to church during the week, went to church on the weekends. We were at church all the time. Um, but I had thought because my Christian or my parents were Christians that that automati automatically made me a Christian. With that as well, I just thought, you know, if I do all these good Christian things, I think I'm good. I'm locked in. I'm going to heaven. Um, what we know, the Bible says that's not true. Um, so I'm going to fast forward several years to high school. Um, and that's where things kind of started um, unfolding. I started seeing that my mentality of my parents being Christians and thinking because I do all these good things and I'm a Christian, that that wasn't um, what I was choosing for myself. High school offered lots of different opportunities of choices, and I decided to choose a route that was not honoring and pleasing to the Lord. Um, I wanted to be the cool fun party girl. So what that meant was diving into that whole world of just partying, weed, alcohol, you name it. Um, that was me. Um, unfortunately, at school, I was the, the fun party girl. And at church and home, I was the good Christian girl. And um, sad, really sad to admit that I was a, a really good hypocrite. Um, my parents did not know at all what I was doing at, um, on the weekends, um, because I'd show up to church on Sunday morning, um, unfortunately very hungover, um, but, uh, fast forward through that, continued to just party, continued to go to church, thought I was good, my parents are Christians, I'm kind of still going to church, I'm, I'm okay, um, so throughout, uh, college, I continued to party as well, uh, I knew deep down that what I was doing was wrong, um, but I chose to continue to keep living the lifestyle that I had chosen because I desperately wanted to do what I wanted. Um, unfortunately, each time, though, it left me feeling really empty. Um, let's jump to my sophomore year of college, and I got involved at our local church um, college ministry. And the pastor uh, was preaching through a series called The One Another's. So it was like love one another, encourage one another, that whole realm. And um, couldn't tell you why he flipped us to this passage. He did. Um, but it's Hebrews 10.26. And it says, for if you go on deliberately sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there remains no sacrifice for sins. And at that moment, I was like, 
first of all, I was a little creeped out because I was like, does this guy know my life? Um, and I was a little scared. I was like, this is a little frightening. But also, in the same breath, I knew. Like, I, there was no hiding behind um, that hypocrisy. The Bible had just fully exposed my heart and had shown man, you keep choosing yourself, you keep choosing fun, you keep choosing the, the parting, and there remains no sacrifice for your sins. And I knew at that moment where my life was headed. So with that being said, I knew the gospel. I knew that Jesus had lived a perfect life, that he died for my sin and that he rose again. But I had continually chosen to deny that truth and reject that truth. Um, why? Because I was young. I was 20. I wanted to live it up. I wanted to have fun. That's what my 20s are for, right? To just have a good time. Um, what I also realized was I traded that truth for a lie. I traded a life of following Jesus for the lie that I can do what I want and have fun now and get right with God later. So about a week or two after that sermon, I was at a party and sitting with my friends. We were all obviously, intoxicated, and it hit me. I was like, yeah, this lifestyle, I can keep doing it, right? And it'll be fun. Um, but what's it going to bring in the long run? What is this, like, partying and in my 20s, what is this going to do and getting right with God later? How is this satisfying in the long run? And um, I realized, like, this is all a waste of time and energy. It is just a waste. And I'm going to look back on this time and like know it's a waste. And then that's going to be super awkward. So I'm so grateful that in that moment, I realized it was all just for nothing. That in the future, what am I going to tell my kids that I partied all the time? Like that's embarrassing. I don't want to tell my kids that. You know, I just took weird thoughts to think when you're drunk, but was <laughs> thinking that and was like, totally going in circles, but then um, that's, it's, it wasn't in that moment, but it was in the days, the week following in that time range of, man, I am so done. Like, I have tried the world. I have tried what it has to offer, and it doesn't satisfy. It does not fulfill me. I wake up every time after going to a party, and I'm, one, feel so sick and disgusting, and second, like, cool, I, I still, like, I'm still in my life of fun, but I feel so empty. And it made sense because I didn't have Jesus. So I decided to follow Christ in, in that time following. I decided to repent and turn from my lifestyle of myself, really, is what it comes down to. There's a whole plethora of other things in my testimony that I'd be happy to share another time. But I decided that all of this that I was doing and living for self was not worth it. And I'm going to turn from living for myself and turn from my sin, and I'm going to follow Christ. And I'm so grateful that I did. And it, it wasn't a fear of hell. I mean, they're obviously, like, you think of hell, and it's not like a happy place you want to go to. So there was a sense of some fear, but it wasn't a fear. I wasn't like, man, that's why I want to turn to Jesus. I wanted to turn to Jesus because I had tried with the things that this world has to offer. And I said, you know what? It's not worth it. Been there, done that, not worth it. I'm going to follow Christ. And so, yeah, by his grace, 
he allowed me to follow him. And so grateful, so grateful that Jesus is now um, the one that fills that void in my heart. So thanks for letting me share. Yeah, thank you. It's just always amazing to hear the work of transformation that God does in someone's life um, and how he called you from darkness, called you to repentance and drew you to himself. Um, I think I have two follow-up questions, if that's okay. Sure. Okay, great. Um, what would you say to a young adult who hears your story and says, man, Bianca had fun in her 20s. She got to do all the things that I want to do. So I'm going to do the same thing. And then in two or three years, I'm going to set a day in my calendar. And that's the day that I'm going to repent. What would you say to that? Oh, okay. That's a really good question. <laughs> and I'm going to do... Are you phoning a friend or what? Yeah. Hello? No, I'm going to open up. I'm going to open up the Bible because I think... Um, God says it best. So I have a real Bible right oh. here. So no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Skirt. <laughs> um, okay. So Romans 2 verse 5 says, Because of your hardened and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath when God's righteous ju judgment is revealed. And I just, like, I even think back to Pharaoh, right? And... God gave Pharaoh so many opportunities to do the right thing. And what did he keep doing? He kept saying, no, I will not let your people go. And what did God do? Hardened his heart. Hmm. And I get it. <laughs> like, I get it. I get that, like, hopefulness of, man, I, yeah, when I'm all is said and done and I'm done with my 20s and, you know, I've partied it up and all that stuff, like, then I'll turn to God. But I just think that, and this is coming from a place of, of love, I think it's really foolish. And we're banking on something that unfortunately isn't true. Over time, the more you choose sin, the more your heart gets callous towards it. And you're completely desensitized to it. So in my my opinion, and, and really it's not an opinion, I think we can see it in scripture, is our hearts get calloused. Hmm. So if we choose to continue in our sin, what makes us think that we're going to just snap out of that? Hmm. We're not. We're going to continue to be desensitized to it and continue to choose ourselves. So what would I say? I would say from personal experience, don't do it. Like it's Again, it sounds really nice, right? It sounds good. I'll do what I want, and then I'll turn to Christ. But um, I don't think that that necessarily, yes, is God good? Is he gracious? Is he faithful? Can he do that? Absolutely. But I also think it's important to see your heart is going to continue to be hardened towards the Lord as you continue to choose yourself and choose sin. So I would plead with um, the young adult who's thinking that to really evaluate that and think through that. Ask questions. Ask your leaders questions. So that would be my answer. Thank you. Let me swing the pendulum the other way for our last question. Say we have a young adult who maybe has somewhat of a similar story, and I think we all could look back at our life and find things that we regret that we've done either before we came to Christ or after. Let's say somebody is really struggling with guilt 
over the choices that they made when they were younger, maybe in their early 20s. Um, but they turned to Jesus, they followed Jesus. What, what truth would you share to that individual who's struggling with guilt over things that have been forgiven? Yeah, again, I'm going to turn to my Bible on my phone, if that's okay. Uh, Romans 8. You guys read Romans 8. There is precious uh, truth in that, in that chapter, and so I encourage you to read that in all of Scripture, but I really like Romans 8. And it, Romans 8, 1 says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And so you talked about in your sermon, there are consequences. There are still consequences that I have from the choices that I made 10 years ago. Because I am the person in their 30s. And I got saved in my early 20s, praise God. But there were a lot of choices leading up to that um, that do have consequences. And I still, they still are there. Um, is there shame? No. Is there guilt? No. Because I have to trust in what God says. And he says there is no condemnation. Thank God. <laughs> like I'm just so grateful that I can live in um, victory and a confidence um, in the work of Christ, not in, in anything that I do or say. Um, should we do the right thing? Should we say the right thing? Absolutely. Like we were talking about, there, there is accountability in that to the Lord. But, um, yeah, I would just encourage you that trust in the truth of Scripture. Trust in what God says. And when God says something, he means it. He's never, ever, 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 you can look back on Scripture all the way to Genesis. He has never gone back on his word. He has never failed in his promises. So let's trust him. I would say trust him in what he says in his word. And uh, we are free in Christ, which praise the Lord. That's awesome. So. Thank you. Let's thank Bianca one more time for sharing tonight. Before, before you go, would you sure. mind praying over our time in small groups? Sure, I'd love that. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful and just humbled to be here. Uh, grateful that you are so incredibly kind to us. You are good. You are faithful. Even when we choose to turn away from you, you pursue us and you love us. Um, just so incredibly um, strongly and I just pray that our time today in our groups would be um, just fruitful. I pray that uh, people will be honest and real and vulnerable. Because, um, God, really, this is all about you and living for your son, Jesus, and for bringing him, and bringing him honor and glory. So use this time uh, to, to draw us to you. May we leave here not the same. We have opened up your word. We want to be doers of your word. So help us to do that. And again, we just thank you for this time. Thank you for this message and your word. I ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.